Praise God. Again, we'd like to say welcome to everyone. I see some new faces. I see some old faces and new places. But it's good to see everybody. And and uh, for for everyone today, let me say uh, thank you for your patience with us as we learn um, what we can and cannot do. And today is another learning experience. This is the first time we have had an Antioch United weekend during school and have had to set up and break down on Sunday morning. So we're trying today to determine what we can and cannot uh, put in here. So we usually have carpets on the uh, altar areas. We have carpet down the aisles. We usually have drums and all kinds of stuff. We have screens. But today we're trying to decide what we can uh, get away with doing. But boy, we set everything up today in about 15 minutes. But that being said, um, we need your help after we're done. It will not take long with this great crowd here today. Uh, all we need you to do is help us after service by, if you're physically able, by picking up your chair and just taking it to the back. We'll have racks back there, and uh, it shouldn't take us long, but we do need to break down today after service, and we have to roll in the lunch tables uh, today, which is not usually our uh, uh, protocol for Sunday morning, but because we're not using the facility tonight, we need to do that. So if we could get our get your help today, uh, that would be awesome. Amen. If you have a Bible, I apologize again. We don't have a screen today, um, but we'll, we may hook those up next time we do this, but we'll have them next week. So if you don't have a Bible, maybe have a phone or standing near someone that may let you peek on their device. Matthew 16, and if you would scroll all the way down with me to verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter rebuked Jesus, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen. Basically saying, Lord, this, this not, not, as long as I'm here, this, this ain't going to happen. But he turned and said to Peter, get deep behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. Then Jesus said to him, if anyone desire to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit it is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Today I want to talk to you as the Lord helps us today with this subject. Answering the why with the what. Answering the why with the what. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. There are cultural cultural expressions that we use in our uh, everyday life that probably most of us don't really know where they come from. For instance, you've said to someone or you've used the phrase, I've heard the phrase, to turn a blind eye. To turn a blind eye. But really, 
to know the origin of that is quite interesting. That origin of to turn a blind eye comes from back when the British were the 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 rulers of the sea. One of their famous captains, Horatio Nelson, was in the midst of a battle against a superior fleet of Danish and Norwegian Norwegian ships. His superior officer was very conservative, was a little skittish, and they were going to attack this fleet, but his superior officer waved and decided to pull off, and Horatio Nelson was blind in one eye. And so he lifted up his telescope to look at the signal, but when he lifted it up, he lifted it up and put it on his blind eye. And when he saw that when they saw the signal, he turned to him and said, What signal? I can't see the signal. And you get the expression to turn a blind eye. You've heard the expression a die hard. That person's a die hard. You know where that expression comes from? It comes from back when they used to execute people by hanging, and the person wouldn't die right away. And they would flop there as they suffocated, and they would say, Boy, he died hard. You'll think next time you say someone's a diehard. You ever heard the term? You, I've said this to my kids or you've heard this before. You're going to read the riot act. Do you know that actually there was a riot act that would be read? Back in the 1700s in Britain, they come up with an, an, an act called the riot act. And any time there was a group of more than 12 people gathered together, there would be somebody that would stand there and would read them the riot act. And if they wouldn't disperse within one hour, then they would be put in jail because they were read the riot act. How about last one? How about spill the beans? You've heard the term to spill the beans, which means to tell all. Spill the beans comes from back in Greek society when they would vote, they would put a white stone or a black stone. A white stone would be a yes vote, a black stone would be a no vote. And they would take that bag or whatever they were using and they would pour it out onto a table that was called spilling the beans and they would tally up. Well, interesting enough, in this scripture we just read, there is a Greek word that is used that is actually a cultural expression in Greek society. This word is hupago, and it literally means to lead oneself to withdraw or sink out of sight. We say today, take a long walk off a short pier, or take a slow walk through fast traffic, or take a walk and forget where you started. That's what we say today, but this expression was used, and Jesus used this expression three times. Three times he used this expression. The first time was in Matthew 4, verse 10, when Jesus said to Satan, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. The second time, again, he said it to Satan. When Satan tried to keep men from touching Jesus and it happened in Matthew 8:32 when Jesus told the 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 uh the 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 uh demons in the swine to go that same word was used but the third time it was used it wasn't spoken to Satan even though there was reference it was spoken to an individual and that's where we just read when Jesus wheeled on Peter i mean let's just lay this out here today Peter Pulls Jesus aside. Can you imagine that? He says, you know, Jesus, I, I need to talk to you for a second. And he went after, 
he said, this is, I don't know what you're talking about. This whole dying stuff you've been talking about, you're, you're out of your mind. As long as I'm here, it's not going to happen. And the Bible says Jesus wheeled on Peter. And I imagine, because I've had this happen to me, because from the bishop, the bishop has this, in case you don't know who the, our founding Founding pastor is an hour bishop. It had to be my father. He has this skill in speaking to you. He has this finger thing he does. And he knows how to put it right there. And it doesn't hurt at first, but it's like Chinese water torture. The more he does it, after a while, it feels like a sledgehammer. And I can see Jesus turning to Peter and say, listen to me, Peter. Get thee behind me. Satan. He told Peter, take a long walk off a short pier. But why would Jesus get so worked up at Peter? Why would Jesus get so frustrated with Peter? What was Peter trying to get Jesus to avoid? Well, we know now because we know the rest of the story. Peter was trying to get Jesus to, the, to avoid the cross. Because suffering is the most misunderstood concept in all of Christianity. We mistakenly believe that if we're not living a victorious life and everything in our life is not going well, then somehow we've messed up or somehow we're not fully understanding what God and we've missed out and we don't understand the value and the purpose of suffering in the Christian walk. But let's just look for a moment at some of the things the famous people of the Bible had to go through. How about Paul, who said he had a, horn, a thorn in his flesh? How about Timothy, who had stomach trouble? Another character of the Bible, Trimophius, who was sick and left the dead to die. Another man, sick. James was beheaded. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. John was boiled alive. And when he couldn't die, literally the story is, this is not in the Bible, but, but church history says that they, brought all, that they brought a crowd together, filled this stadium with people to watch this execution. They marched John into this boiling cauldron. They lower him down in the cauldron expecting him to die, and John just stands there. And after a while, they're trying to figure out, why isn't this man dying? And the story goes, the historical account says, that when he got out of that burning cauldron, the crowd was so convicted at the power of what had just happened, that that crowd began to be converted to Jesus. But even at that, they couldn't kill him. So they sent him off, this 80, 90-year-old guy, they sent him off to a colony out on this rocky island with a bunch of criminals. Someone tell me what John did wrong. What, what, what did John do wrong? What was John's, where did John miss God? We know that he was sent to an island, but we know off that island came revelation. 
It was out of that island came revelation. Because you know what? God never wastes a hurt. Let's say that again. God never wastes a hurt. But there is no cross without a question. There is no cross without a question. How about, how about this? There's this fellow wanted to be closer to God, wanted to get closer to him, wanted to know about him, wanted to pursue God. In fact, he got so persistent in pursuing God, he basically said to God, I'm not going to move from this spot until something changes, until I'm blessed. And this guy gets from that moment, and for the rest of his life, he walks with a limp. Why do I have to walk with this limp? Why am I having to walk with this limp? Because there was a cross in Jacob's life that he had. But that cross was not a cross of punishment, but became the cross of blessing. There is no cross without a question. How about another one? How about, fast forward in the story, there's this young man sitting in a prison cell, not understanding really what he did wrong. All he tried to do was follow a dream. And yet he finds himself in a prison, asking himself, how did I get here? What did I do wrong? What did I do to deserve this? All I was trying to do was follow a dream. And it wasn't even my dream. God gave me a dream, and I'm trying to follow that dream. And all it seemed to have done is bring me sorrow. But God, the whole time, was navigating the life of Joseph. What about even the man Christ Jesus on the cross? Says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even a moment in the flesh of the man Christ Jesus, he cried out and asked, the why? Even the man Christ Jesus in his flesh called out and asked, why? But what about this one? What about John the Baptist? Here's a guy that was out in the wilderness, preaching repentance. People were coming out there to watch him. He was out of his mind, eating locusts and camel hair, just this crazy guy, but people were so moved by him. He comes out, and then he is the one chosen by God to be the baptizer of the man Christ Jesus. But later we find John in a prison cell awaiting execution. Knowing, here's the thing, here's, what's, what's, here's what's, what's hard sometimes. John knew that Jesus had the power to set him free. It's hard when you know God's got the power to do something, but he's not doing it. It's one thing to question, can God do this? But it's another thing to know he can do it. But why isn't he doing it? Notice, James was beheaded out of the same prison that Paul was set free from. James got beheaded from the same place Jesus, um, Paul was set free from. And here, here is John. And watch this. Listen, because John was the proclaimer of the Messiah, here's what John knew. This is what John knew. Isaiah 35, verse 4. Say it to them that are, not, that are fearful of heart. Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even with the God of recompense. He will come and save you. This is prophetic of the Messiah. 
Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame leap, the tongue of the dumb sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. Then later on, Isaiah says in Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath set them to bind up the broken heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are what? Bound. Hey, God, that's me. John knew these prophecies. I would imagine in his preaching of his proclamation, he even alluded to these prophecies. But watch what Jesus says. Jesus says in, in uh, Matthew 11, Jesus says this. Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John again those things which he hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached to them. And then Jesus stopped. Wait a minute. Time out. That wasn't the entire prophecy. Isaiah says all these things. And then Isaiah says again in Isaiah 61. And at the end he said to set them free that are in prison. But Jesus tells them, go tell John. Tell him this. Tell John this. The blind receive their sight. Check. The lame walk. Check. The lepers are cleansed. Check. The deaf hear. Check. The dead are raised. Check. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Check. I imagine John is sitting there listening to this person and say, okay, what else? You, you missed a part. Well, that's all Jesus told me to tell you. No, no, no. There's more to the prophecy. Hurry, tell me, because that's what I need to hear. You're leaving out the most important part that's irrelevant to me. Tell me. Well, that's all Jesus told me to tell you. No, 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 no. That's not the whole prophecy. What about the whole thing with the prison and setting the prisoners free? That's me. I need to hear that. What did he tell you to tell me? And then Jesus said this. I imagine that poor little messenger, I would not want that job. Because he said, well, oh, there was one more thing that he told me to tell you. Okay, good. I, I, I knew you forgot. Tell me what it is. It's the prison thing? No, it's not the prison thing. Well, 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 what is it? I mean, like, oh, oh, is it that thing about Enoch, the Enoch thing? Am I going to be, like, taken off without dying? Am... No. Then what is it? Uh, he told me to tell you, blessed are they who are not offended in the way I run their lives. What? Time, time I go back and say that again. The blind are doing, and the deaf, and the land, the lepers, and the dead are being raised, and the gospel is being preached, and, and the, the, the prison, the prison, prison, prison. No, I know that's what the Bible says, but he didn't tell me to tell you that. He told me to tell you, blessed are they who are not offended in the way I run their lives. Huh. What? Can you imagine? Let's be honest. These are human beings, folks. These are not robots or superheroes. Can you imagine the sinking feeling that must have gotten to John's stomach for a moment? When it realized to him, I'm not getting out of this situation. I'm not. Let me ask you this today. 
This is not going to be an easy answer. In fact, it may make you mad by asking the even question. How would you feel today if God told you he wasn't going to change your situation? Take your greatest need today. Whatever is in your top priority of your need. What if Jesus told you today, I'm going to do all this amazing stuff for everybody else, but I'm going to leave you in your situation. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to touch them and I'm going to answer his prayer. I'm going to answer her prayer, but I'm going to leave you right where you are. And I don't want you to be offended because I've done that. Whoa. Whoa. Time out. But can I challenge you today to think beyond where you are? And to know that if the Bible says that he is a good father. And if the Bible says that he is a good God. And that he is kind and gentle and loving. Why would he choose to keep us in a situation. That has no benefit to us. Just to keep us there. Somewhere along the line is God's nature changing? No. Then there's got to be some reason. There's got to be a why to why I'm in this situation. There's got to be a why to what I'm going through. But the problem is, John didn't get an answer to the why. And more than likely, you don't get an answer to your why. I don't get an answer to my why. The Lord gave me this last night. Let me just stop right here and give you a disclaimer. The Lord gave me this last night. I don't know who's going to be here or not, but I feel something in my spirit. There's, a, there's something in my spirit today. I can feel it in this place. Would someone open up, your, open up your ears and listen to the word of the Lord today? God's trying to help somebody. And notice that God, when, when Jesus sent the messenger to John, he never answered the why. But he gave him a what? He didn't give him a why. Even though I'm sure John wanted the why. But he answered the why with a what? Blessed are they who aren't offended in the way I run their life. He gave them the what? The what is, John, I'm in control. He didn't give them the why. He's still sitting in that prison, more than likely about to die. But he gives them the what. And the what to John was, I'm in control of this situation. Boy, it's one thing. Let's be honest. It's one thing to know God's able to do something, but he's not doing it. That's number one. But then the other part is, not only to know he's able to do something, but he sends you word, he knows where you are, but then doesn't do anything on top of that. Because let's be honest, there's a lot of times we know God's able, but we don't know if God really knows where we are. You get that, that concrete ceiling effect with your prayer, you know what I'm talking about? Where you're just pinging prayers off the ceiling of heaven and they're bouncing back to you. But it's another thing when God sends a messenger to you and says, hey, I know right where you are. Woo, praise God. Most of us today, that would be awesome. Oh, God knows where I am today, praise God. He gave me confirmation. But I'm going to leave you where you are. 
Ooh, where's your shout now? Boy, I'm telling you right now, if, if, if someone came to you today and gave you a word of prophecy, brother, I'm telling you right now, sister, I'm telling you right now, God sees you sitting right there. He describes what you're wearing. And then, boom, whoo, that's confirmation. God's about to, but he's not going to do anything about it. Whoa, whoa. I don't like that. That's exactly what he did to John. He says, all this is happening. God knows where you are. He sent me to you. Oh, by the way, you're going to stay here. And don't be offended. But I'm in control. <laughs> Have you ever asked this question? I'll, I'll put myself out there because I've asked you, I've asked this question. Do you know what you're doing, God? I mean, you've been around for a while. Are you, is, are you, are you struggling today? Because it feels like right now, I don't, I, I'm not getting why you're doing this. I imagine John probably said, listen, could you go back and ask him again and see if he changes his mind? Answering the why with a what? And we see this pattern throughout the Bible. We see it all the way back in Job. We see it in Paul's life where Paul said he sought the Lord three times. If anybody could touch God, it was Paul. And the Bible says he went to the Lord three times to have this thing removed from him. And all three times God said, uh -uh. oh, by the way, my grace is sufficient. Great. And apparently, first time he didn't like the answer because he goes back again. Third time he goes back and asks. Every time, same answer. My grace is sufficient. But I want you to read something. You ever, there are verses throughout the Bible that don't seem to have a, lot of, have a lot of meaning for us today. And there's one verse I'm going to pull out for you today that I guarantee you, you may have read before, may have not. It's kind of an obscure verse. But I guarantee you, when you read it, you're going to understand, what does that have to do with me today? You ready? 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 7. 1 Kings 6 and verse 7. And the temple, when it was being built, was built with stone finished at the quarry, so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. Okay. Thanks for the information. Let's move on. When you stop for a moment and you expand what that verse just said, I believe the Lord wants to help us today. Because in the ancient world, when you built something, let's just, let's just go to Greece for a moment. The Acropolis, the, Acropolis, the, the Parthenon up on the hill in, Greece, in Athens. You've seen pictures of that. What they would do is they would, they would rough cut a stone. Even the Egyptians did this, but the Greeks were masters at it. They would rough cut a stone out of a quarry. They would then take that stone to the site. And when that stone got to the site, then the stonemasons would stay, would be on site and the stonemasons would finish the stone on site to the specifications that were needed. That's why if you look at a Greek column, you look at it and it looks like one solid piece of stone, but it's not. It's actually layers, but they were so precise in putting them together that you can barely make out the seam. And so the ancient techniques of building was you rough cut something at the quarry and you bring it to the site and you finish it. And this was the practice. 
Because to get something precise before you got it to the site, if any of you have ever been involved in construction, we have construction guys here, very few times does something go according to plan. Most of the time, construction is about adapting. But the Bible says when they built the Temple of Solomon, everything was done in the quarry. And everything was complete in the quarry so that when it was brought to the temple, there was no sound to be heard in the building of the temple. You've got to understand for a second, the work that that went into, the planning and the meticulous details that had to go on before there was all this technology we have today that had to have gone on in that quarry to get a rock to the temple and have it fit perfectly with other rocks and make no adjustments. Think about that for a second. These are guys doing this with little iron tools. And they would, they would make a measurement. They would send it to the quarry and they would spend time chiseling and cutting and, and making all this progress happen so that when it got to the temple, it was a finished product. There was no finishing, there was no finishing at the temple. The work was done in the quarry. Do you know what the reflection of the temple is? Heaven. We are going to heaven not as a work in progress, but it is we are going to go to heaven as a finished product. There is no working in heaven. There is no construction in heaven. When we get to heaven, we are going to get there as a finished product. So if there's no working there, where is the work going to take place? If you've got to be worked on so that when you get to heaven, you're a finished product, then you pray tell me where you're going to be worked on. If it's not there, then where is it? So it goes to the greater point I've made the last couple weeks. If this was all about being saved, then we should shoot you the moment you were baptized. It's true. The moment I hear you speak in tongues, the moment I know you're baptized, I'm shooting you dead right there. Because if you stay on this earth, you have more time to mess it up. Because I've seen a lot of people that got baptized and filled the Holy Ghost that are lost today. So if it's just about salvation, let's kill you there. Because we'll know you'll make it. So why does God leave us on this earth after we are saved to live our life out for however many years we live for God? And then on top of that, not only live for God, but go through trials and difficulties and dark days. Why? Because this is the quarry of heaven. And God has looked down at your life and you are a specific stone that has to be cut to a specific measurement in order to fit into the stone in the temple of heaven. So whatever you have in your life that needs to be worked on, it's not going to be worked on up there. It's got to be worked on down here. There 
is no working in heaven. There is no chiseling in heaven. You're going there as a finished product. So everything I'm going through now is not for my punishment, but for my edification. It's not for my, my delightment, but for my development. So if I'm going through a trial today, it's not to beat me up, but there is a purpose in it because this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. So I will never understand the why, but I can understand the what. He may never give me the why, but he can give me the what. And the what is, he is perfecting me because when I get to heaven, I'm going to be a finished product. But watch this, ready? I saw this last night and I got so excited, I called my wife. I got, you got to hear this. I had to preach it to her. I had to get it out. There were three ways in ancient quarries there were three ways in order to cut a rock out. You got these quarries that are just nothing but giant rocks. In the, the quarry for the Temple of Solomon was actually a cave under the city called uh, Zedekiah's Cave. It was a quarry, solid rock. So you walk in there and you're going to, you, you know, you're, you need a stone that's, let's say, four feet by eight feet. You got to get a four foot by eight foot stone out of a solid, massive mountain of granite. How do you do that? There were three ways by doing that. The first thing was called leveraging. What leveraging was is that you would examine the, 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 the area where the stone was. And if you saw a pre-existing crack, you would try to use the pre-existing crack as your way to cut out. And if you would Take the crack and you would put some kind of tool like a crowbar down in the crack and you would begin to work that crack and make it wider. You would use what nature had already caused. You would use what life had already produced. You wouldn't heal the crack to get the stone. You would use the crack for the stone's benefit. The cracks didn't happen. Overnight, some of the cracks had been there for hundreds of years. But instead of throwing away the stone because there was a crack, you would say, this stone is able to be used because there is a crack. And it was the crack in the stone that gave it the ability to be used. There are some things in your life God's never going to fix. There are some things in your life God's never going to heal. But why? Because he's going to use that crack in your life and he's going to let his spirit get down in the crack and with spiritual leverage he's going to use that pre-existing crack in order to get you to where you need to be so you can chase all the cracks in your life all you want and he may heal some but there's some cracks he won't heal because he says I'm going to use those cracks. The second way of getting a stone was called splitting. And that simply meant this. is that you would mark off the area where the stone needed to be cut. And then you would go down in a series, in a line. You would draw a line, and then you would go down in a series of holes. Some maybe a few inches apart, some... Some maybe a little farther than that. And you would knock these holes. They would be either in the shape of a wedge or they'd be in the shape of a circle. And you would mark these holes along this line. It would be a series of holes. And then when you got that, you would take wood. 
And you would cut the wood to precisely the same size of the hole. And you would hammer that wood down in that hole. And as tight as you could. And when it got in there tight and you had all all of it lined up, you would take water and you would pour it down the line all over the wood. And when the water got to the wood, it caused the wood to expand. And when that wood expand, it would create a perfect line in the crack. You see, there are certain things in our life that seem like unrelated events one after another. There's series of events happen. You get over one thing, all of a sudden something else happens. You get past that, then another thing happens. Then you get past that and another thing. And it seems like all of a sudden I can't catch a break. It's just one thing after another. One thing after another. What is going on, God? What are you doing to me, God? Why are you doing this to me, God? Can't I catch a break? Hole by hole by hole by hole by hole. And God, what am I doing wrong? What's happening? Next hole. Oh, God, help me. Next hole. Don't do this again. Next hole. And then all of a sudden, guess what? Some wood gets put in our life. That wood is the cross put in our life where God puts that wood in our in our life and then all of a sudden guess what <laughs> we're seeking God right oh Jesus let your spirit pour on me but we don't know what we're asking for because guess what happens when water's poured out something's gonna break and so we come to God and we've had all these holes drilled in our life that we don't understand and they seem so disconnected. What does this hole have to do with that hole? Why do I need this hole and I got that hole? Why have all these series? I look back and I turn and look at my past and I see these series of holes. And all of a sudden, in one moment, his spirit moves in my life. Wham! The water of the Holy Ghost flushes over my spirit and all of a sudden, without knowing it, And now all of a sudden, God just says, I I had to get some stuff in your life. I had to break some stuff free in your life. You didn't understand what all these had, but everything I was doing was connected because I was preparing you to what I needed to do. And the last one, the last way was called channeling. And channeling is exactly what it sounds like. You would look at the stone and you would begin to cut, you would draw a line and then you would begin to cut a channel. You'd start at one end of the line and you would chisel a channel and you could actually go back in some pictures and see ancient rocks and quarries of Egypt where they channeled and never cut the rock. At one particular one there was an obelisk that was 30, 40 feet long that they had channeled out and some guy, he probably got fired, in the middle of doing that, hit the the wrong way, and cracked that obelisk, and it was no good, but they left it there, and it's channeled, and you can see how they did it. So a channel is something that starts at one end, and you dig, and you just channel, and it may go on for feet after feet after feet after feet after feet. In this one particular instance in Egypt, the channel was somewhere over 100 feet long around this rock. Because you know what? We go through situations that feel like it never ends. It just keeps going. Am I ever going to get out of this? As they say, a rut's only a grave with the hole, with the ends cut out of it. We feel like a channel sometimes in our life where it just seems like we're just in this trial and we're never, ever, ever going to get out of it. We understand the leveraging part. That's where God uses what we did have in our life. He uses that as leverage. We understand the, the series of holes. But what about those things in our life that seem like they never will end? Worse than that, those are the things that we seem to pray about the most. 
because they're a constant reminder. We're always praying, God, you know, can't you see me down here suffering? God, you got to take this out of my life. <laughs> okay, maybe next week. Next week comes up. Okay, God, <laughs> it's Sunday. Hello, it's your holy day. Help me out here. <laughs> All right, maybe I need to fast. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Lord, I fasted for seven days this week. Doesn't that give me something? I mean, come on, help me out here down here. Okay, maybe I need to pray more. All right, Lord, I prayed four hours a day this week. Okay, I prayed, fasted, and read my Bible. Lord, I slept at the church all week. Doesn't that account for something? Stop this never-ending process. And the Lord just, he's just channeling away. Hey, when is this ever going to end? Wait a minute. Why is it stopping for them and I'm still going through it? God, I need a word from you. Give me a word. I need a word. Blessed are they who are not offended in the way I run their lives. I didn't want that word. Give me another word. Why? Why? Is God unfair? Is God unfair? Why would he take the child of one person and then let another person enjoy children for the rest of their life? Why would God allow someone to go through hurt and not? Why? 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 I don't know why. Why does God take one and spare another? Why did God allow James to be beheaded out of the same prison that Paul was taken out of miraculously? Why? I don't know why. But I know the what. Because you know what? When a stone is finished, it doesn't belong in the quarry. The moment that stone is done, it's time to transport it to its full purpose. Some of us are going to live for a long time. We've got a lot of stuff to chisel off. But you know what? The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment that God knows the precise construction schedule for your stone. And when your stone is ready, it's ready. And we can sit here and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are you taking that stone? Can't you leave that stone? Why leave something down here that's already finished? We as humans don't understand that. Because we as humans want everything to be equal. But in God's way, he doesn't look at it like we do. Because God's way is he's building something that will last for eternity. And he says, because the the Old Testament is the shadow of what is to come. The word goes out to the building of the temple and says, every stone shall be finished, shall be chiseled, shall be cut, shall be sanded and completed in the quarry, so that when it's brought to the temple, there is no sound of chiseling. There's no sound of hammering. There's no sound of finishing. I think I hear that echoed somewhere in the Bible. It says, there'll be no sorrow there. No more burdens to bear. No more sickness. No more pain. 
No more dying over there. Forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. There is coming a day with no burdens to bear. Oh, no more sickness, no more pain, no more dying over there. Forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face. Of the one who saved me by his grace. Oh, and leads me to the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. If that's our promise, if that's what he's promised, then what are we doing here? He's perfecting us so that when we get there, there's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. There's no more tears shedding. There's no more loneliness. Because all of that he's using here for our purpose. But when we get there, that purpose will be completed. God will never give you the what or the why. But somewhere along the line, you can get a revelation of the what. I don't understand why. I don't understand. I look across this place and I see some of you that have actually, you have gone literally through hell. You've gone through hell where it seems like others in here, you've had some difficulty, but, you know, well, it's not that bad. You can get through it. There's others in you, literally, every time you turn around, something in your life seems to be knocking you down, going through hell. And you say, God, you're unfair. You're unfair. Why do I want to serve God? Why would I ever want to serve a God that's unfair? But you know what? It's not about this life, but it's about what life is to come. And as long as I stay submitted to him and he's in control of my life, he will continue. There's an old song he used to sing in Sunday school. He's still working on me. To make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. Oh, man, I just lost it. Help me out, somebody. How lovely and patient. Thank you. How lovely and patient he must be because he's still working on me. He said, let there be light. There was light. But yet he chooses you and I. To stay here day after day. Why? Because we're his greatest. His greatest creation. God's not mad at you today folks. 
God hasn't abandoned you. He didn't, he's not forgotten you. He's not punishing you. He said that we'll get to the point where we will treasure. Paul said, I take pleasure in my persecutions. Because why? He never got the why. Why were you chipwrecked? Why were you beaten? Why were you left dead? Why were you sick, hungry? Why, why, why? Why were you imprisoned? He didn't understand the why. But Paul said, I take pleasure in my persecutions. Because Paul understood the what. You may never get the why. More than likely, you'll never get the why. But somewhere along the line, you get the revelation of the what. And answering the why with the what. I wonder right where you are today as I close, if you would just bow your head. Is there some here today that you may need to take a moment as we close this service and you may need to ask God to forgive you. I've been there, I've done that. He told John, don't be offended in the way I run your life. Maybe some of you today, you're struggling, you're frustrated, you're upset the way God is running your life and you don't get it. Why, God? Why are you running my life that way? He said, don't get offended in the way I run my life. Within the statement was the promise to John. The statement was, don't be offended. But the promise was, I run your life. I'm in control. Yes, I... It appears to you in your understanding, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm in control. Don't be offended. Come on, today, some of you need to give some things to God right where you are and say, Lord, help me to accept the what. Come on, this is not, this is not meant to be sobering. This is not meant to beat you up. This is meant to, to give you hope today. Because it hope to understand that God actually isn't a mean, cruel punishing God but he actually is a God of love God of kindness everything he's doing the Bible says all things work together for good but it doesn't stop there all things work together for good to them that are called according to his purpose what purpose is it for me to be in this place today the purpose is God chisel some more off me can I say to you today that I believe 150% with every fiber of my being I believe that we are here Antioch West in the will of God and I believe that God has assembled an amazing group of people but some of you You've come here and you haven't received quite what you expected. You came here and you thought it was going to be great. And Wait a minute, why? I've gotten here and why does it seem like now that I'm here, things are not going according to plan. Oh, they're going to according to plan. Absolutely. Because God is about to elevate you to a whole new level. But in that elevation has to become some subtraction. And that subtraction may require some chiseling. That subtraction, that subtraction may requires some standing, some things being broken out of our life. But ultimately, he's doing that not for your punishment, but he's doing that for your development because God's elevating us, folks. 
He's taking us to a whole nother place. We're going to see revival and harvest that's historical for Antioch, the apostolic church. We're going to see it. I believe that. And you are the people that are going to be a part of that. But in order for us to get there, we've got to be willing sometimes to let the cross be hammered in our lives and let the Holy Ghost flow over us and let that expansion take place so that God can do some things in our life. Would you stand right where you are right now? Would you lift your hands to the Lord? Come on, can we lift our hands to Jesus for a moment? Maybe you need to even pray today, Lord, the Spirit's willing, but my flesh is weak. God, my my Spirit's willing. My faith is willing, but Lord, my flesh is weak. I believe, Lord, help thou my unbelief. Maybe you need to be transparent with God today. And say that. You might as well be honest. He already knows it anyways. But he, but sometimes he waits for you to see if you're going to be honest. Come on, right where you are, just another moment. There's a, such a wonderful, sweet, tender spirit of the Lord in this place right now. Can you do something for me? Can you reach over next to somebody for a moment? Just place your hand on them. Take them by the hand. Let's pray one for another. Come on, the Spirit of the Lord is in this place. Lord, I give you, give you my heart. I give you my soul. For you alone. Come on, that's it right now. Come on, some of you came in here for an answer. You got your answer. But now let the peace of God come. Come on, let that peace come. Oh, understanding the why with the what. Oh, come on there, somebody. That's it. Yield to it. Come on, let the Holy Ghost fall right now on some of you. Come on, let that let that sweet, tender spirit of the Lord flow. Come on, yield to it right now. Yield to it. Come on, some of you let the devil beat you up. You've let the devil lie to you. Say God's mad at you. God's punishing you. No, no, no. God's developing me. Have your way in me. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. Forgive.